You're listening to episode number 89 of The Green Elephant in the Room. This is your host, Eco Rico. In our last episode, we explored this question, is it possible that individual actions will move the needle on large-scale eco-issues such as reducing greenhouse gas emissions and widespread habitat loss, or is individual action virtually pointless? Individual climate action versus collective climate action. Lifestyle change versus system change. In researching this issue, not surprisingly, we have uncovered a basic truth. Our eco-issues are complex and humans are complicated. Covering an issue that will be impacting us for centuries and involves every person and most every other living creature on the planet is bound to be convoluted and problematic. What we have concluded is, yes, individual actions are essential and can and do make a difference, but in the end, we must collectively work together to have any hope of limiting the tremendous changes happening to our home planet. It's instructive to look at some recent polling on people's attitudes concerning advancing stronger environmental policies. More than half of Americans say they are taking actions that will reduce their energy consumption and their energy bills, such as using energy efficient appliances and reducing their use of heat or air conditioning. But far fewer are taking part in costlier measures, such as buying an electric vehicle or living in a home with solar panels. Most Americans say they want the U.S. to take aggressive action to stop climate change, yet only a minority would pay extra to do that. So while Americans increasingly view climate change as a threat, they rank it far below economic concerns. Climate action plans quickly lose support when voters sense that they come with a personal price tag such as paying extra taxes, higher power bills, or trading in their current vehicle for an electric one. Indeed, one poll released earlier this year showed that only 38% of Americans would be willing to pay a dollar per month carbon fee to address climate change. That's the lowest level of support since the poll began in 2016. A smaller share of respondents said they would be willing to pay higher amounts the survey found that just over 20% would pay $100 a year or a little over $8 a month. What this data makes clear is a large percentage of Americans care about the climate and environment. They just don't care enough. They demand climate action as long as it doesn't cost too much. Keep in mind, this is not only the richest nation in human history but also the greatest consumer of natural resources and, historically, the greatest contributor of global warming gases of any country in the world, by far. So even claiming to want strong climate action from their leaders, they are still voting in the same old parties and politicians that keep the current system going. Why? Voters don't see the connections.
In the early 2000s, the term carbon footprint was popularized through a campaign by British Petroleum, BP. They are the second largest non-state owned oil company in the world. They introduced the carbon calculator. So now you, the consumer, could calculate your carbon footprint and see what damage you, as an individual, were doing to the planet. BP promoted the idea that climate change is caused by and needs to be solved by individuals. By redirecting attention onto seemingly personal and everyday life choices, such as going to work, buying food, and traveling, they are implying that consumers are largely responsible for heating the globe. Although devious in origin, this campaign was wildly successful. The concept of a carbon footprint has become firmly entrenched in the environmental lexicon and greenwashing schemes. It has been referenced by everyone from massive airline companies to seventh grade science teachers. Even myself as a teacher used it in the classroom as a teaching tool. Part of its popularity comes from its ability to make extremely complex and multifaceted issues seem manageable through small individual actions. Unfortunately, hyper-focusing on the contribution of individuals to the crisis is a tactic that fossil fuel companies have long capitalized on in an attempt to remain invisible and blameless. Look at it this way. Even if you are the perfect, zero-waste, low-carbon footprint human being, that doesn't change the world unless you do something bigger than yourself. Because if you disappear tomorrow, we would still be facing exactly the same magnitude of climate crisis. Because you're just a rounding error to the global carbon emissions. This realization can sometimes feel disheartening and disillusioning for those who work against the system and make substantial efforts to make better choices in their daily lives. It's unfair to put the burden of climate change solely on individuals, especially women. Yes, it's true that taking personal responsibility for climate change is insignificant to address the crisis. And it's equally true that individual action is essential to the climate justice equation. While collective action is invaluable, it is also an incomplete strategy for political change. And at the same time, we should worry that the knee-jerk reaction against discussing our individual responsibilities for climate change risks becoming an obstacle to the sweeping changes required to achieve a carbon drawdown economy. It's important to remember that individual behavior changes are not only righteous, but required. Human consumption of raw natural resources is at the center of the global economy and therefore an ideal place for actionable interventions. Nearly everything we do involves consumption of resources such as trees, water, fertile land, metal ores, and fossil fuels. And the global rate of consumption is alarmingly increasing. Everyone can play a role in solving climate change. There are real actions we can all take, starting today, 
to get us on a pathway to real system change that benefits humanity and the planet. The magnitude of the challenge we are collectively facing requires actions from all levels, from our governments, businesses and institutions, communities and every one of us in our personal lives and homes. So, where do we start? Solving the global climate change crisis is going to rely on, in one way or another, changing human behavior. Let's not kid ourselves. The changes that will eventually be required to balance human appetites against the health of the planet are going to be tough. Taking the bus can be a pain. Skipping the beach vacation for climate reasons? That can feel like a real sacrifice. First world problem though it is. Having one fewer child? For many people, that's taking things too far. Individual lifestyle changes can act as a kind of fusion that strengthens political activism. Ultimately, how, when, where, and in what form to act is up to you. The most important thing is to simply act. When we argue that consumer pressure can fix the climate crisis, we don't acknowledge how much change in consumer behavior is necessary to move the needle just by a few percent. You have to convince hundreds of millions of people to essentially give up their way of life to just have a fraction of the impact that large corporations and industrial concerns have on emissions. And that has to happen in just a decade or so. Profound changes in consumer behavior are difficult to achieve and take a long time in just one country or culture, let alone globally. We don't need more people to ride a bike because it will cut their personal carbon footprint. We need them to do so because it will send a signal to politicians, planners, businesses, and fellow citizens. That signal, along with organized activism and support for that activism from folks who aren't ready yet to ride a bike, will in turn help change the system that makes cars the default choice in far too many situations. It's activism that gets the safe bike lanes that we need to get to work and changes the system. This applies to all aspects of the carbon footprint. The trick is to think about a low carbon footprint not as an end goal in itself. After all, your carbon footprint is infinitesimally small when looked at in isolation. Instead, the calculation becomes a useful metric for identifying which behavior changes are significant enough to really put pressure on the wider system in which behavior changes are onerously hard or unattractive and therefore may require a systems level intervention like building less roads or making fewer cruise ships. To put it into context, the average annual carbon footprint of a person is approximately 5 tons. That figure is a global average. The figure increases to approximately 15 tons for developed countries. In comparison, the world's annual global footprint is 51 billion tons. So, even if you make a big reduction in your carbon footprint, will you really make a difference to the world? Not really. Systematic change is required to make a big difference. 
I mean change from the fundamental use of fossil fuels for everything from energy generation, transport systems, making things like cement, steel, and plastic production, and so on. It's pretty clear by now that you are not the reason why the climate is changing, but you, nonetheless, are part of that emission statistic. The dilemma between focusing on individual efforts and collective action is a false dichotomy. Your personal choices are a part of an endless feedback loop with the system. The sheer scale and complexity of the climate challenge requires large-scale transformations driven by governments, industries, corporations, and international collaborations. These actions go well beyond the scope of individual behavior. Simply put, individual actions inspire systematic changes, while systematic changes empower and enable individuals to act effectively. We need both, and urgently. When it comes to creating a sustainable and equitable world, what better choice do we have than smashing the state or reshuffling the contents of our shopping carts? By constantly searching for the most climate-friendly toothpaste or milk, it's taking away our focus. The revolution won't happen by people staying home and being good. Don't let anyone tell you different. An essential question is, which of our personal climate actions will give us more bang for our carbon buck? We may not think that there's a clear line where individual action starts and ends, but think about where your actions can scale the quickest. Probably the greatest resource on which of our personal actions have the greatest impact on greenhouse gases is from Project Drawdown. Drawdown is the point where greenhouse gases in the atmosphere peak and come down. Project Drawdown organized a team to map, model, and measure the most substantive solutions which could make that a reality. The editor, Paul Hawken, started with the idea of using existing technology, the things we already know that will work. It sets up a list of 100 solutions ranked by their potential to reduce carbon, brief explanations of each, and even cost estimates to ramp them up. What becomes clear from Project Drawdown is that our existing idea of solutions has been too narrowly focused on a few obvious solutions, like wind energy, solar energy, and electric cars. We need a whole suite of solutions to draw down greenhouse gases. Their analysis and modeling tell us the impact these 100 solutions have on the atmosphere and rate them in order according to which ones have the greatest impact. All are scientifically validated and economically viable. Many of the climate solutions proposed are large and designed for country and city climate plans, commitments by businesses and community action. Proposals in the top 10 would include abandoned farmland restoration, alternative cement, and high-tech refrigeration. However, 
Project Drawdown analysis reveals that individual and household actions have the potential to produce roughly 25 to 30 percent of the total emissions reductions needed to avoid dangerous climate change. That is a lot higher than most people realize. It's because we as individuals and households are part of a broader economic system currently reliant on fossil fuels, from the food we buy, to the electricity we use, to the buildings we live in. These would include things that we all could do, such as plant-rich diets, reduce food waste, and public transit. While the vast majority of global emissions, 70 to 75 percent, can be reduced directly by the decisions of those who run businesses, utilities, buildings, and governments, our choices as consumers, energy users, tenants, and voters have direct impact in their own right and can affect those decisions by sending signals across the system. So rather than being laden with blame and guilt, we should be owning our power to make the change. From the more than 100 specific science-backed solutions Project Drawdown has identified, they have highlighted a list of 20 high-impact climate actions that individuals and households in high-income countries can take, and that together could reduce up to 25% of future greenhouse gases. In this episode's show notes, we have included a link to both Project Drawdown and to that list of the 20 high-impact climate actions for households and individuals. About a decade ago, a solo researcher published a jaw-dropping statistic that changed how many people thought about climate change. He determined that just 90 large companies released almost two-thirds of all greenhouse gas emissions between 1750 and 2010. Big players like Chevron, Exxon, and BP made the list, along with state-owned fossil fuel companies and cement producers. The study transformed the discussion about who exactly bears the responsibility for climate change. For years, environmental groups had resisted the idea that ordinary individuals people who drive gas-powered cars or heat their homes with fuel oil were responsible for warming the planet. This study's finding underscored a clear dilemma. If 90 companies have caused most of the world's climate change, why bother eating less meat or switching to an electric car? Now, however, that calculation might be changing. Yes, a large group of giant oil companies are still responsible for most of the emissions to date. But thanks to the Inflation Reduction Act, which includes huge incentives for individuals to buy electric cars and shift their homes away from fossil fuels, ordinary citizens are suddenly in the driver's seat of America's energy transition. After decades of gridlock, Congress just hit the gas, or accelerator, on funding substantial climate action. The Inflation Reduction Act besides the confusing name in order to get it passed, is not only the most significant environmental legislation passed in 50 years, but also the largest investment to combat climate change in our nation's history. 
The act contains $500 billion in new spending and tax breaks that aim to boost clean energy, which makes it a major and urgently needed step forward in the global fight against climate change and will significantly help shape a greener future in the U.S. The numbers are staggering. The United States has almost 104 million privately owned cars on the road. Of those, only about 1.7 million are electric. Then there are the country's 56 million gas furnaces, 58 million gas water heaters, and 5 million furnaces. Not to mention America's 35 million gas stoves, which have suddenly found themselves as an unexpected front in the culture wars. We'll share more about that in our show notes. All of these things are fossil fuel machines that we live with in our homes, and we have power over them as individuals and households. That's why the Inflation Reduction Act includes huge sums of money to help households move away from those oil and gas-fueled machines. For example, it offers $7.5 billion in electric vehicle tax credits and $24 billion in credits to electrify homes. That means that individuals can get up to $7,500 off an electric car and $2,000 off a heat pump and more. If Americans take full advantage of these programs, the results could be profound. According to research at Princeton University, in the next 10 years, consumer actions like buying EVs or cleaning up home fossil fuels could reduce greenhouse gas emissions by over 300 million tons of CO2, which is about 30% of the total emission reductions expected from the bill. Almost a third of the Inflation Reduction Act's climate benefits in the coming decade stem from individual actions. Meanwhile, that funding isn't capped, meaning that more people taking advantage of the tax credits, the more money the U.S. government will spend and the more the country will cut fossil fuels. It could be almost a trillion dollars. That's a thousand million dollars toward clean energy, putting a significant dent in the climate crisis. That's a really big deal. That's not to say that systematic changes aren't important. Developers need to build solar, wind, geothermal, and nuclear power so that all of these new electrical appliances are running on low carbon electricity. Companies need to start building low carbon cement and steel and researching cleaner aviation fuels. But the country cannot fully move away from fossil fuels unless the country's 142 million homes do so too. At the same time, as things stand, not everyone has the ability to change their home or their vehicle. Over a third of Americans live in rented homes or apartments, making it difficult to replace their furnace or hot water heater. And if the tenant pays the bills, landlords don't have the incentive to sub in more efficient appliances. Lower income families might also not have the tax liability to claim the credits. They will have to wait until the U.S. government rolls out an upfront rebate program slated for later this year. And while EV prices are starting to come down, they can still be more expensive than their gas-powered counterparts. This really means that all of us can do something whether it's changing how they commute some of the time, eating a little less meat, 
or if they have the means, refitting their homes. The idea that we don't need individual action is just materially and scientifically incorrect. The science shows that change is needed throughout the system and these individual actions play an essential role in the transition we need to solve the climate crisis. It's not always easy, but everyone can make a difference. Our power grows when we work together with others. We are not just individuals. We are neighbors, friends, co-workers, employees, owners, investors, board members, and representatives. Our personal contributions will be made more powerful when we learn which solutions have the most impact and join with others in our communities to push those from the government, corporations, and other institutions. Rarely have we been presented with such a grand opportunity to make positive decisions about our collective future. When we refer to systems or systematic change, we are talking about transportation systems, food and agricultural systems, our housing and building systems. This is where we individuals personally use most of our fossil fuel energy. As we just heard, thanks to the Inflation Reduction Act, there are several important new credits available to help households be more efficient or switch to clean energy. These will make it more affordable for you to install things like rooftop solar, heat pumps, heat pump water heaters, induction stoves, home insulation, and new windows. Solar, wind, and storage solutions have made a disruptive breakthrough in cost, performance, and adoption. Together, these solutions could now, through electrification, start pushing fossil fuels out of the system in energy, transport, buildings, and industry at a speed and scale once considered unthinkable. This can be a game changer that we have all been hoping for and can be the difference in our climate fight. This breakthrough did not happen by coincidence. It was driven by policy, innovation, and public pressure for change, thanks to people like you. It's a win-win for your pocketbook and Mother Nature. And finally, we would be remiss if we didn't mention a major resource created by the Green Elephant. A Call to Act is a comprehensive, web-based encyclopedia of eco-solutions that delivers thousands of resources aimed at restoring our atmosphere, oceans, and land. This is not a personal, how-to-save-the-planet list for being an ethical consumer. That is the problem we have been addressing in this episode. Instead, it's a guide for virtually every aspect of our lives. At the moment, we have 53 sections that are being expanded and updated almost daily. Here are some highlights. A green career to be proud of. Earth is hiring. How green is your pension? Do you know where your retirement funds are invested? Could be in fossil fuels. Socially responsible investing. Make money while doing good. Eco-educational opportunities for students. Parents and students are demanding more environmental classes and many school districts are taking them away. 
how to get your eco action civics classes that you need and deserve. Each one of these sections offer dozens of valuable insights and resources. Worried about the climate crisis? Just start doing something. A call to act. It's awesome to behold, inspirational to experience, and it's only a click away in the show notes.